Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would speak to us through it during this time. We pray that you give us understanding as we open your word, Lord, that we might understand what's your will for our lives, and Lord, that we would respond appropriately, that we would become the people you want us to become as you shape us by your word. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amikor Magyarországra költöztem, egy szót sem tudtam magyarul. Egy emeletes lakás épületben éltem, és néha a szomszédok bekopogtak, és elkezdtek beszélni hozzám, és mesélni, de egy szót sem értettem abból, amit mondtak. És ezek általában idősebb emberek voltak, és én csak néztem, bámultam, és mondtam nekik, hogy nem beszélek magyarul, de vagy nem érdekelte őket, vagy nem hittek nekem, de csak folytották, folytották a beszélgetést, annak ellenére, hogy szót sem értettem belőle. A gyülekezetben, ahol szolgáltam, Magyar volt a lelkész, és sütötökönként voltak biblióráink. És sokszor csak végigültem egy prédikációt úgy, hogy nem értettem semmit. És, és úgy nehéz volt azért növekedni, nem? Ne, nem igazán mondhatom, hogy szólt hozzám az Úr, mert semmit nem értettem belőle. Well, today in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, We're going to talk about why it's important that when the church is gathered together, whoever's speaking should speak in a language that other people can understand. I'll tell you this, I love speaking in Hungarian, but it doesn't really benefit almost anybody else when I do, especially when the church is gathered. And that's kind of the point of what Paul's going to be talking about here in this chapter. And so what I was telling you now, I was just telling you a little story about how when I first moved to Hungary, I couldn't speak Hungarian. And so my neighbors would sometimes come over and they'd try and talk to me, and generally elderly people. And they would try and talk to me, but I didn't understand what they were saying. And so I would tell them, hey, I don't speak Hungarian. And either they didn't believe me or they didn't care because they just kept talking to me. And, uh, but the thing is, I didn't get a lot out of those conversations because I didn't understand anything they were saying. And then I served in this church, and it's a Hungarian church, and so on Thursday nights we would have Bible study, and so many times I sat through entire Bible studies where, you know, it's an hour-long preaching, and I didn't understand anything. And I can't say that I really learned anything or that the Lord spoke to me through those messages because I didn't understand what was being said. See, it really helps you to understand that in order to build up others, in order to help them grow, we need to communicate in a way that they can understand. And that's Paul's message here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And our title for this message is Building Up and Reaching Out. Building Up and Reaching Out. And every week I give you a sentence which summarizes what, we're, what, what this passage is about. And that, that sentence also functions as our outline for studying the passage. So here's our sentence for today. I encourage you, take a photo of it, write it down, whatever you got to do to take this with you so you have it as you go throughout this week. But here's our message for today. The posture of the people who follow Jesus is to build up the church and be a prophetic witness in the world. So the posture of the people who follow Jesus is to build up the church and be a prophetic witness in the world. Now let's take that sentence and we're going to break it down as we study this passage today. So the first part, the posture of the people who follow Jesus. Paul begins in verse 1. Pursue love 
and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is the final chapter in a section of this letter, which begins in chapter 12, uh, which is all about the value and the use of spiritual gifts, the value and the use of spiritual gifts. Now, the Corinthian Christians were very interested and enamored with spiritual gifts, particularly with one gift uh, especially, and that was the gift of speaking in tongues. They thought that was the best, the coolest, the most awesome of all the gifts. And so Paul has been writing to them here in these chapters, chapter 12, 13, and 14, to talk to them about the value and the use of spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, he gave them an overview of the gifts, what gifts exist, how they function in the church as the body of Christ. And in chapter 13, then Paul told us that the only proper motivation for using spiritual gifts is love. Without love, it doesn't matter how gifted you are. You're not going to accomplish anything of lasting significance. And now here in chapter 14, Paul is going to talk specifically about the gifts of speaking in tongues and prophecy. And what he's going to say is this, that the gift of speaking in tongues is not the best gift to use in the gathered congregation, in the gathered church, in church gatherings. Rather, the best gift for church gatherings is the gift of prophecy. That's why Paul says there in verse 1, look at what he says again, pursue Love, that's, that's what we talked about in chapter 13, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, that's what we talked about in chapter 12, and now he says, but especially that you would prophesy. Remember, the Corinthian Christians were particularly enamored with this spiritual gift called the gift of speaking in tongues. And let's define what that is before we move on. The gift of speaking in tongues is the ability to speak or pray in another language, which you haven't previously studied, and which even you yourself do not understand, right? So what I did earlier, that's not speaking in tongues. I, I knew exactly what I was saying, right? But, but what was happening in, in Corinth, in the, in the church there, is that the people who had this gift, they were really proud of themselves that they had this gift. They became kind of puffed up and arrogant about it. They looked down on other people who didn't have that gift. And in their church services, what we see, especially at the end of chapter 14, is that what people were doing is they would stand up in the middle of a church service and speak in tongues for everybody to hear, which means they would interrupt whatever else was going on, right? Whether it was teaching or music or whatever else was going on, they would interrupt and start speaking in an unknown tongue for everybody to hear, watch, watch how I'm doing this. And, and they would kind of play it off. And here's how they would do it. They would say, oh, well, you know, I can't help it because when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, man, it just takes over and I just lose control of myself. I don't have a choice. I just have to, have to say it. I, I don't have control over myself. And they would say, but isn't it awesome? Isn't it, isn't it the proof that God is here and God is really working? And what Paul's going to say here in 1 Corinthians 14 is No. No, it's not awesome what you're doing, and it's not spiritual, and it's not that the Holy Spirit is making you do that. You actually do have control over this. So actually what you're doing, Paul says, is not spiritual. It's actually quite unspiritual because you're being inconsiderate of other people, and it's not benefiting anybody but you, right? You, you're enjoying it, but nobody else is getting anything out of it. And so here in 1 Corinthians, Paul the Apostle, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's encouraging us to check our posture, 
Let me ask you, how's your posture? If you're anything like me, maybe you spend all day, you know, hunched over your computer and it messes up your posture, right? Physically. Uh, maybe you're one of those people, right? Like sometimes me, right? You spend the whole day craning your neck, looking down at your phone. It's bad for your posture. But you know what? There's another sense in which we use that word posture. Posture is also the way that you approach things, right? The way that you approach other people or the world, the way you approach God. That's your posture, right? It's your general attitude that shapes the way you conduct yourself. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, what should be the posture of the people who follow Jesus? What should be the posture of the people who follow Jesus? Now, we could answer that question in multiple ways. Like, we could look through the Bible and see, look, what is the posture of the people who follow Jesus? On the one hand, the people who follow Jesus, our posture is that our knee is bowed before Jesus as king. Right? We acknowledge him as king. We give him the place of lordship and headship in our lives. We humble ourselves before God. We surrender our lives to him. Another aspect of our posture as the people who follow Jesus is that our minds are set on things above. So our knees are bowed. Our minds are set on the things above. We seek to see the world as God sees it and live our lives with an eternal perspective. Another aspect of our posture as people who follow Jesus is that we are on our toes, not on our heels. We're on our toes, not on our heels. In other words, we're not in a defensive posture. We're in an offensive posture. We're moving forward. Forward. We're taking ground. We're seeking to advance the kingdom of God and make progress in the faith. So rather than retreating from the world, we seek to advance into the world. We seek to reach the world with the love of God and the hope of the gospel. But another key aspect, and the one which, which is really important here when we come to the Corinthians, is that our posture as the people who follow Jesus is that we put other people ahead of ourselves. We put other people ahead of ourselves. Paul explains in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, that since Jesus laid down his life for us, what it means to follow in his footsteps, it means to consider others ahead of ourselves and do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And this is where the Corinthians had a problem with their posture. If you could describe the posture of the Corinthian Christians, it would be one of self-gratification. Self-gratification, that's what they were all about, doing whatever felt good for them as individuals without any regard for other people. And uh, let me tell you this, this is a temptation that all of us face, especially in the world and in the society that we live in today. There's this temptation to be focused on self-gratification on ourselves as individuals rather than considering others but what it means to follow Jesus, right? What is the posture of someone who follows Jesus? Well, that brings us to the next, posture, uh, next part of our sentence. The posture of the people who follow Jesus is, first of all, to build up the church. Paul says there again in verse 1, he says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, but especially that you would prophesy. And now he's going to tell us why prophecy is better than speaking in tongues when it comes to church gatherings. He says in verse 2, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So the first thing I want you to notice there is who are these gifts directed towards? In other words, who is the target audience for each of these gifts? So he talks about prophecy and speaking in tongues. He says in verse 2 that a person who speaks in tongues, 
speaks to God, not to other people, whereas, verse 3, a person who prophesies speaks to people. Right? So the one is speaking to people, the other one is speaking to God. So the gift of prophecy is when someone speaks forth a message from God to people. Now, on the other hand, the gift of speaking in tongues is not for speaking to people. Right? It's not for giving a message or preaching or, or sharing something with people. Uh, it's for speaking to God or prayer. Now, the reason why this is important is because it helps us understand what the gift of speaking in tongues is all about. You know, sometimes I hear people say things like, man, I wish God would give me the gift of speaking in tongues so I could communicate with people who speak other languages. Now, that's a great desire to have, but please understand, that's not what the gift of speaking in tongues is about in the Bible. Look again at verse 2. It says, a person who speaks in tongues doesn't speak to other people. They're speaking to God. So the purpose is for prayer and praise to God. In fact, if you look at the book of Acts, where we see several instances in which people spoke in tongues, you'll notice that in every case, and I encourage you to go check it out, in every case you'll notice, they're not preaching, they're praying. They're always, it's always directed towards God. It's prayer and praise. Now in verse 6, if you go down a little bit, Paul makes it clear that the purpose of speaking in tongues is not to convey a teaching or a message from God. Instead, Paul says then in verse 14, that what tongues is, is it's a tool to help you pray. It's a tool to help you pray. Now on the other hand, the spiritual gift of prophecy, he says in verse 3, is about bringing a message from God to people, which does one of three things, or perhaps all three things. It brings upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Look at what it says in verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, what you should know is that there is some debate amongst Christians as to whether these spiritual gifts of speaking in tongues and prophecy, whether they still exist today. There are some people who would say that these gifts ceased with the time of the apostles, and there are other people who say, no, they still continue on to this day. They still exist. Those who believe that these gifts ceased with the time of the apostles, that they, they don't believe that all spiritual gifts ceased, right? Nobody believes that all spiritual gifts were only for the time of the apostles in the first century, right? Many people who who believe that these particular gifts cease, they still believe in other gifts, right? Like teaching and administration and wisdom and exhortation and generosity. They would say those are still spiritual gifts that God gives people today. But the sign gifts, as they're called, or the, the miraculous gifts, right? Like uh, healing and the working of miracles, prophecy and speaking in tongues. These gifts, they would say, were only for that period of time back then in the early church in the time of the apostles. And, and they have a few reasons why they say this. One reason is they say, well, we just don't see them today in the same way that we saw them at the time of the Bible. When, and that's pretty subjective. Somebody could say, I don't see them, therefore I don't think they exist today. Now another reason why somebody would say that is they would say, the reason why these gifts ceased with the time of the apostles is that they are no longer necessary today because 
we have the Bible. So we don't need prophecy to tell us what God says. We have the Bible to do that for us. And speaking in tongues, we don't need that anymore. They needed that in the early church because they were tasked with evangelizing the world. They needed to be able to speak and preach in other languages. And so God gave them this gift for that purpose. But, but here's what's interesting. There are the writings of the early church fathers. We call them the church fathers. So these are the Christian leaders who lived between the years of about 100 A.D. to 450 A.D., right? So in the generations following not only Jesus' ascension into heaven, but also the generations following the apostles. We call them the church fathers. And here's what's so interesting. The church fathers talk about the gift of prophecy being present in their time hundreds of years after, after the apostles. And they also talk about miraculous gifts, like healing taking place in their time. And so, uh, furthermore, when it comes to the gift of speaking in tongues, right, it says in verse 14, chapter 14, verse 2, as you read here, that the purpose of speaking in tongues was not uh, to be able to preach the gospel in other languages to evangelize the world, but rather it was a tool for prayer. It was directed towards God, not towards other people. But, but even if that wasn't the case, let's, let's assume now that what if the gift of speaking in tongues is for world evangelization? Like, wouldn't that still be necessary even today, right? Like, don't we still need to evangelize the world? And so, there's a very good argument to be made that these gifts did not cease with the time of the apostles, but that begs a question. And the question is this, what exactly then is the gift of prophecy? And if we have the Bible, then why do we need the gift of prophecy? Now, in the New Testament, the spiritual gift of prophecy is exactly what it says here in chapter 14, verse 3. And understand this. In other words, it's not new revelation from God, right? So the New Testament sense of prophecy is not new revelation from God. What it is, is it's a timely word from God for a particular situation, and it serves one of these three purposes. Building up, encouragement, and comfort. So it builds you up rather than tears you down. And it may be a word of encouragement, like the speech from the coach right in the locker room at halftime. Or it might be a word of comfort that gives strength to someone who is hurting or struggling. Just this week, I was talking to a dear woman from our church who's in the hospital, and I shared a Bible verse with her, and, and her response was, oh, thank you, that was just what I needed to hear, right? And she said, that was from the Lord. Well, what, what does she mean? Well, of course it was from the Lord. It was in the Bible. Every verse in the Bible is from the Lord. But what she meant was that that was the particular word that she knew was inspired by God for her to hear in that moment for what she was going through to encourage her in a time of distress. And so, you know, I had another friend the same week going through something, and someone else texted her and said, do not fear, right, because God is with you, and he is a very present help in time of need. Now, for her, that was a word from the Lord that brought her encouragement in time of distress. It was a timely word for that moment. And that's the idea behind the New Testament gift of prophecy. Now, some people have suggested that prophecy in the New Testament is essentially what we would call preaching. There's no difference. Prophecy, preaching, we call it preaching, they called it prophecy. Now, on the one hand, I would say this. I believe that preaching needs to have a prophetic element to it. There needs to be a, a sense in which this is God's word for this moment for these people. 
So preaching needs to have a prophetic edge, right? Every time I prepare to speak before any group of people, I always ask, God, guide my words, right? Give me the exact words that you want to speak through me to these people on this day. But on the other hand, the gift of prophecy isn't only limited to teaching. It can operate in other realms. And I hope you know this, not everything that a preacher says is prophetic. It doesn't mean it's always from the Lord. Sometimes preachers say things that they shouldn't, that aren't good. So the point is that the New Testament gift of prophecy is a word from the Lord for a particular moment, a particular situation, and here's what it does. It builds up, it encourages, and it comforts. That's the New Testament understanding of the gift of prophecy. Now here's what's really interesting. In the New Testament, prophetic messages are not to be accepted unquestioningly, right? So somebody comes and says, hey, I have a word from the Lord for you. You're not just supposed to say, okay, cool, I'll do it. I'll sell my house and I'll marry that person because this person said I have a prophecy for me. No, no, no. It's to be tested. Tested, first and foremost, against the word of God. But in other ways as well, right? We want to test things. We're not just supposed to accept them unquestioningly just because someone claims to have a word from the Lord. So we're to test it. You know, it's interesting, when Paul the Apostle, on his second missionary journey, he went to this city called Berea. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17. And there in Berea, it says that the Bereans, Paul spoke to them about Jesus, and these guys, you know what they did? They went home and they fact-checked him, right? They went home and they checked him to see if what he said was actually true. And you know how Paul responded to that? He said, do you guys know who I am? I'm Paul the Apostle, man. Like, I write the Bible and stuff. No, no, he didn't say that. You know what he said? He said, these guys are more noble than anybody else I've ever met because they checked what I said against the word of God. They checked me against the Bible. And it tells us the Bereans, again, they were more noble for having done so, and Paul loved it that they did that. And so I want to encourage you in that way, too. I want us as church, as a church, I want us to be Bereans. I want us to be students of the Bible. I want you to test everything against the scriptures. And at the same time, I want you to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and especially that you would speak words from God to people that build them up and encourage them and bring comfort when they're in distress. Now, just in case you might have started to think that Paul is anti-speaking in tongues. This is just not his thing. He doesn't like it and he's just against it. No, no, no. Look at what he says in verse 5. Now, I want all of you guys to speak in tongues. He wants them all to do it. But he said, but more that you would prophesy. Because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, back in chapter 12, we read about this other spiritual gift, the gift of interpretation of tongues. So that's the ability to understand what someone's saying in an unknown tongue and interpret it. Now, for those of you who take notes in your Bible, here's what I want you to do. I want you to circle, highlight, underline every time in this passage that you see the phrase build up, or in some of your translations, it'll say edify. It means the same thing, build up. So circle, highlight, underline. Look for all the times when it says build up. I'll tell you what, there are six of them in this passage. Six times Paul uses this phrase or these words, build up. And that means that that's pretty important. That's kind of his main point here. And the point is this. It causes us to ask a couple questions. The first questions it causes us to ask is this. With your actions, 
Are you building up or are you tearing down? So are you building up or are you tearing down with your words and your actions? The second question it caused us to ask is this. Are you seeking to build up just yourself or are you seeking to build up others? Now listen, there's nothing wrong with building up yourself. In fact, building up yourself is a very good thing. I love what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 30, where we read that David was in a time of great distress. And it says that during that time, David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Right? That's a good thing to do. You need to strengthen yourself in the Lord. That's why Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 14, I wish all you guys spoke in tongues because a person who speaks in tongues builds themselves up in the Lord. So building yourself up is a good thing, but it's, it's not a good thing to only build up yourself and not others. And it's not a good thing to build up yourself to the neglect of building up the church. Look at what Paul says in verse 12, which is really the key verse, the summary statement for everything Paul's saying here in this chapter. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Just, that's one to circle, highlight, underline. Strive to excel in building up the church. I'll tell you what, it's really easy to criticize the church. Like you don't have to be that smart or that clever to find something wrong with a local church like this one or with the church in general. That doesn't make you particularly clever if you're able to do that. You don't have to be really smart to pick out the problems and the blemishes and the flaws in the church. Anybody can do that. I could do that. Listen, there is always room for improvement in any local church, and in the church at large, the church in general. But what you realize as you read through the Bible is that God, he's kind of like head over heels for the church. Like he's super into it. Like he's, he's like way more into it than, than anybody else, right? Like we're all like, eh, church, eh. But Jesus is like gushing over it. He's like, I want to marry that thing, right? He's like, I call it my bride. I'm going to lay down my life for the church. I'm going to create it. I'm going to sustain it. I'm going to give my life for it. He's like so committed to it. He's head over heels. He's gushing over the church. In other words, he's really into it. And you know what that means for you and me? It means that if we're people who follow Jesus, right, we value the things Jesus values. We love the things Jesus loves. And what that means for us as people who follow Jesus, if, if you follow Jesus, then what's your posture? Your posture should be to one, be one who builds up the church rather than tearing the church down with critical words or divisive attitudes, rather than giving up on the church and being like, I'm done. Instead, God is encouraging us as followers of Jesus to strive to excel at building up the church. In other words, figure out how you can strengthen the church. Don't just be a critic. Where you see issues and room for improvement, seek to be part of the solution. For the Corinthian church, that was, that's what Paul's saying to them. Here's what it meant for them. It meant, you guys who are speaking in tongues in the church services, knock it off, right? Do that at home. Not in the church, right? Because in the church services, make your goal to be to build up others, not just to gratify yourself. Paul's trying to turn the Corinthians' attention or their attitude throughout this letter, right? He's been trying to turn the Corinthians' focus away from themselves as individuals and towards the higher calling that they have in Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 16. 
when you pray with other people. Like, let's say you're praying with other Christians. Should you pray in tongues? He says, no. Here's why. Because if you pray in the Spirit, in other words, in tongues, how can anybody understand what you're saying? How can they say amen? You may be praying and, and giving thanksgiving, but others are not built up. They can't even say amen to what you're saying. And so Paul says, verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Right? He's flexing on them. I speak in tongues more than all you guys. But nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words in a known tongue than a thousand words in an unknown tongue. So friends, let me challenge you with this thought today. If Jesus loves the church, if Jesus created the church to carry out his mission in the world, then I want you to think about and pray and plan for this. What are some ways that you can be involved in building up the church? I'm going to say it one more time because I want you to act on this. What are some ways that you can be involved in building up the church? Look at verse 12 again. Strive to excel in building up the church. Jesus loves it, guys. He's head over heels for it. Warts and all. And therefore, as people who follow Jesus, that should be our posture. We, our posture should be building up the church. That brings us to the last part of our sentence. And also to be a prophetic witness in the world. In verse 20, Paul says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. You see, it's one thing to be childlike in your faith or in, in regard to innocence about evil things. It's one thing to be childlike. That's good. But it's another thing to be childish. Right? And that's what the Corinthians were doing. They were being childish in their behavior because they were selfishly only concerned with gratifying themselves at the expense of others. He says in verse 21, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for, believer, not for unbelievers, but for believers. So Paul here, he's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 28, which talks about how speaking in foreign tongues is a sign for unbelievers. Now this refers particularly to what happened on the day of Pentecost and on other occasions in the book of Acts where speaking in tongues was a sign for unbelievers that God was doing something, that God was doing something special in their midst. But when it came to God speaking to believers to instruct, to guide, to teach, God didn't do that through an unknown tongue. He did that through prophecy. So when it comes to the regular church gatherings, Paul says in verse 23, if, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you have all lost your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever enters and he is convicted by all, he is, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. You see, Paul assumes that whenever a church gathers like this, there will be people in the chairs, people in the building, in the congregation who are not Christians. They're not, maybe they were brought as a guest. Maybe their parents or their spouse dragged them along, right? And they don't yet believe. And he says, therefore, so some people are visiting. Some people may be just checking it out. And therefore, we need to make sure that our church services and our messages are intelligible to people who don't yet believe. We want our church services to draw them in, not scare them away. But ultimately, 
Our hope is that people would hear God's voice and begin to follow Jesus and trust in him. In other words, the church doesn't exist only for the sake of those who already believe. The church also exists to be a prophetic witness to the world in both word and deed. To be a prophetic witness in the world means that everything we do, it should speak volumes about who Jesus is, and it should point people to him. So as you and I, as we forgive those who have sinned against us, as we trust God during times of uncertainty, as we pour out our lives in service and generosity to others, our goal is that God would speak to people through our lives and through our actions to draw them to himself. And so rather than focusing on gratifying ourselves, we focus on building up the church and having every part of our lives be a prophetic witness to the world. And you know what? In some cases, that's going to mean exercising self-control. It's going to mean exercising self-control. Think about it. That's what Paul is saying that the Corinthians should do. They should exercise self-control, which, by the way, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Think about what he's saying. He's saying, look, I know it feels good for you when you speak in tongues in front of everybody, but understand, it doesn't help anybody else. It doesn't benefit them. It doesn't build them up. And so, if your actions aren't helping to further the mission of building up the church and being a prophetic witness to the world, then have the maturity to exercise self-control and not do that thing in this particular situation. And I'll tell you what, that is really applicable to us in the day and age that we live in today. You know why? Because right now we live in this culture, right, that encourages us to like spout off and like post online and talk about every little thing we think and like demonize other people and criticize and, and all that, right? And think about, it, doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel like, oh, it feels so satisfying, you know, when you, when you can tell that person what you really think? You know what I really think? Here you go. It feels, oh, it's so therapeutic. It feels great. Or to post that thing online that kind of makes fun of people who think differently than you do. Oh, man, it makes you feel so good. Or, or, or when you get to hurt that person back who hurt you. Oh, man, doesn't that feel good? Isn't it therapeutic? And you know what doesn't feel good? It doesn't feel good to swallow your pride and apologize. It doesn't feel good to keep your mouth shut when you want to just say it like it is. It doesn't feel good in the moment, but you know what? It's so much better in the end. It is. It's so much better in the long term. You know why? Because as followers of Jesus, we have a higher calling than just gratifying ourselves. We have a higher calling. We have a bigger mission that we've been called to. We follow Jesus, the one who set aside his comfort what he wanted or what felt good to him for our sakes. He's the one who, when he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, he didn't open his mouth. He put our needs ahead of his own comfort. It says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, that the reason Jesus did everything he did, right, the reason he left the comfort of heaven, the glory of heaven, and came to earth, the reason he endured rejection and abuse at the hands of men, the reason he didn't try to save himself when he could have, but he allowed himself to be captured and crucified. The reason he did all these things was because of the joy that was set before him. Jesus told perhaps one of his shortest parables, but in my opinion, one of his most beautiful parables. And in that parable, he explained to us why he did what he did in coming to earth and dying on the cross and being crucified for us. Here's what he said. 
The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, what does that mean? Well, the key to understanding this parable is found in the section which comes right before it, where Jesus explains that the field is the world. And so who is this man who gave everything in order to purchase the world? Well, Jesus is talking about himself. He is the man who saw treasure and purchased the world in order to take that treasure. You know what Jesus is saying? Jesus is telling you how he feels about you. That when he looked at the world, he saw you, and he considered you to be such a treasure that he was willing to give everything in order to make you his own, in order to redeem your life and make you his own. And despite the cost, despite the pain, he did it with joy because that's how much he loves you. That's how much he treasures you. Do you know that? Friends, love this amazing. Love this divine. It demands my life, my soul, my all. If you have never truly responded to the love of God, I encourage you to do so today. But I want you to remember this. There are also other people out there who God loves and who he treasures as well. And that's why the posture of the people who follow Jesus is to build up the church and be a prophetic witness in the world. Would you please stand with me and let's pray. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.